joining us online. Thank you, musicians, for leading us in your gifts today. We're grateful for you and preparing us for a time in God's Word. Let's get our Bibles out open to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14. If you're visiting with us, we've been uh, working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians for the last eight months, and we are now in chapter 14. Uh, We'll uh, be here this week, and we'll be in 14 again next week. So some of you have read ahead, and if you have, you're thinking, you might have been thinking it was this morning, but it's not. But you, you're thinking, well, I'll be here because I want to hear what you're going to say about that. There's some controversial things in this chapter. Amen. Let's pray and then let's go to God's Word and let the Lord speak to us through His Word. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for You. Thank You, Lord, for Jesus. Thank You for salvation. Thank You for your presence, Holy Spirit, in our lives. Thank you for your perfect plan of redemption. Thank you for the hope that is found in you. Thank you that the children that are sitting in a bomb shelter in Ukraine right now can hope in you. That you have men and women on the ground there. You have people there who love you and that are filled with your spirit that are spreading the message of hope in the midst of fear and war. God, thank you. Thank you that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Thank you that your love for us cannot be broken, that we cannot be separated, that no matter what happens in this life, you are faithful, you are with us, and we will always be with you. So Lord, as we come to this moment, this time, God, we ask that you'd speak to us. We recognize that to whom much is given, much is expected. And so, Lord, though our country is not under invasion, remind us we are in a war. Prepare us. Use us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your listening guides, you can get them out. We want to start this morning. By thinking about the fact that rather than working above us or around us, God desires to work through us. And it seems like a fairly obvious statement, but it shouldn't be. Because it is the most unlikely of all ways that God would choose to work, but it is the way that He has chosen to work. Because He is above us and He would no doubt be more effective around us because we, we are, it's, it, we're, we're problematic, we're, we struggle, we're prone to stumble, we're, we're oftentimes shallow and short-sighted and self-centered and easily distracted and much like the church at Corinth. 
But God loves them just like he loves us, and he desires to use us. And the great reality that's before us every day as his people is this this invitation that God wants to use us. He wants to use you, and he wants to use me. And I hope it's shocking to you that as we study 1 Corinthians 14, how pathetic it is. What a pathetic testimony on the church that we haven't learned much since Corinth. We're still foolish. We're still so oftentimes making much of the wrong things. Tangled up, confused. So may God give us clarity. We're in verse 20. 1 Corinthians 14, beginning in verse 20. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law it is written... With men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in Those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Let's just pause here. Now, here's the point that Paul's making. Now, understand, I'm assuming that you remember what we talked about last week. I don't have time to go back through all of that. But if you weren't here, you can watch that or listen to that online. The the point here that Paul is making is that Tongues, the ability to speak in a known language that you don't know, a supernatural gift to be able to communicate the gospel to people, are primarily a sign for unbelievers. And what's interesting is that he uses, he, God bases this on the prophecy from Isaiah 28. Now in Isaiah 28, the Bible says, With men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all of that, they will not hear me. Now, here's the interesting thing. The context of Isaiah 28, what's going on is that Israel has ignored the prophets. They've ignored the prophecy. They've ignored God's word. And so they're being judged. God says, because you've ignored prophecy... Judgment is coming, and you'll be judged in a language you don't speak, you don't understand. And what we know from history is that soon after that, that's what came to pass, and it was through the Assyrians. And so understand, God uses a a text to make a point, and the original intention of the text was to say you ignored prophecy, therefore you'll be judged by a foreign tongue. That's exactly what happens. And remember, this is a church that is all wrapped up 
like many churches today, in this issue of tongues. Because it's flamboyant. Because it brings attention to yourself. Because uh, people, uh, so many of you, uh, maybe in your past, or even you have family members now that are uh, wrapped up in church situations where they're taught that you're not even a believer. You're not even saved until you speak in tongues. And yet here we see the clear teaching of Scripture that tongues do not produce obedience. That's not what they do. That God gives supernatural gifts to do supernatural things to accomplish His supernatural mission. But He doesn't do that for our own benefit to to allow us to be puffed up and proud or to allow us to boast in something that we can do. No, that's not it at all. You see, the reason why tongues don't produce obedience is because truth is not, is not communicated unless it's understood. It's got to be understood. And so here you have a group of people who are in the church at Corinth who all speak the same language. And notice he says, if, if an unbeliever comes in and you're all speaking in tongues, he thinks, what in the world is going on here? See, the most fundamental and basic rule of evangelism is that if people don't know what you're saying and people think you're out of your mind, you're not going to be very successful. I mean... To be effective in evangelism, people have to understand what you're saying. And they have to have some reason to believe that there's some validity to the things that you're saying. Now remember last week when we started talking about prophecy, I said that prophecy is the speaking of the truth of God to the hearts of people. Now the technical definition for prophecy is to speak under divine inspiration. But what I need you to understand is that it's always to speak under divine inspiration, but Old Testament prophecy and New Testament prophecy are distinctly different. That in the Old Testament, God used prophets. He sent men like Moses and Elijah and Isaiah as his prophets, and they spoke the word of God. That's what they did. Now, in the New Testament, prophecy is still speaking under divine inspiration, but it's no longer speaking new revelation. It's speaking what God has already spoken. And the reason we know this is because the Bible makes it very clear. So if we want to understand prophecy, we should understand it this way. Prophecy today is speaking under divine inspiration in agreement with what God has already said. This would be the way to understand New Testament prophecy according to the Bible. This isn't according to what we think it is. This is according to what Scripture says that it is. You speak under divine inspiration in agreement with what God has already said. You cannot, anything that is said that's counter to what God's already said is not 
correct. It's not divinely inspired. It's not because it's against what God has said. So the Bible says, for example, in Hebrews chapter 1, long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Old Testament. But in these last days, New Testament, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heirs of all things, through whom also He created the world. And so what the Scripture wants us to know is that today there is no new revelation. Now I know that you know this. If you go to church here, you know this. But we need to be reminded that this is a problem. This is an issue that many people don't either don't understand or don't want to understand. And it has created all sorts of terrible problems within so-called Christianity. But more than that, it has brought a tremendous amount of judgment upon a tremendous amount of people. You see, here's what the Bible says. It ends in Revelation 22 with this statement. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words in this book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Now, it cannot get any clearer than that. That's as clear as it could possibly be. So when we prophesy today, which we do, which I'm doing right now, when we do that, what we're doing is we're speaking under divine inspiration in agreement with and according to what God has already said. So that's why Paul says, Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there comes in one or those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But look at verse 24. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Look at the difference. Look at the difference. On, in one hand, people report that you're out of your mind. On the other hand, look at this amazing transformation that comes. That someone who hears people prophesy is convinced of the truth. Convicted by the truth. The secrets of their heart are revealed. God begins to work in their heart. And ultimately, it results in humble worship of the one and only true God. How many of you know somebody that you would like to see these things described in verse 24 and 25 happen in their life? Yeah. This is what we need to understand, that there is no such thing as transformation apart from what God has said. There's no such thing. Now, there, there, there may be people who have heard things and that have led to great inspiration. 
maybe led to some temporary changes in their life, maybe led to some, some philosophical or theoretical transition or change or life view or whatever the case may be. But it wasn't transformation. The only way that a person can be transformed from the inside out, the only way that can happen, it has to be accompanied by and through what God has said. And so we need to sometimes be reminded about some things. Like, this is why we study the Bible the way that we do. That's why when we come into this place, you, we, don't, we don't preach on life lessons. We don't give you the latest pop psychology. This isn't church light. This isn't come and you're going to be made to feel better about yourself or you're going to be told that God's going to bless your bank account or your health or whatever. That's not here. And there's plenty of places you can get that, but this is not that place. Remember last week I said that, that in every culture that's ever existed in all of human history, they've always had a problem with Jesus. Always. So see, we know going in. I know in preparation for every Sunday. It's the same for me, for Pastor Matt, for Pastor Brian. We understand this reality. That faithfulness to Scripture is always going to be the hardest way forward. It's always going to be the hardest way forward. Not the easiest. And we realize that we live in a culture, in a church culture, and that many of you get, get in some ways, you know, just by, by exposure, you get, you get mildly or to some a greater degree, you get indoctrinated into this idea that when you are doing God's will, things go good. It's a lie. It might be that way, but it might not be that way. Oftentimes, the right thing is the hardest thing. And the primary goal of preaching is not to make you a moral person so that you can live a better life. The primary goal of preaching is for you to encounter the living God. See, when you encounter the living God... Here's what happens. You become convinced and convicted. And God begins to do a great work in your heart through His Spirit and His Word. And then you begin to be a worshiper of Him, a follower of Him, a disciple of His. That's the goal of preaching. That's the goal of of prophecy. And so I say all this to say this that that when it is hard and it often is it's not hard for the sake of being hard. Do you understand that? It's not hard because 
Hard is easier. It's not hard because hard makes us feel better. It's not hard so that we could be puffed up with pride because it is hard. No, it's hard because what God said is hard. And so when it feels hard, just understand why that is. Understand. That what we want more than anything else is not to feel better. We want to know what's true. See, no one knows what we need better than the one who made us. And so we don't need human wisdom. We need God's word in our lives, in our hearts, stirring us up, causing us to think. And my prayer every week is that God would take the things that he's shown me, and he would make it better as he shows it to you. So I know what you're thinking. Well, that's great, Tony, but what does this have to do with us? In other words, that's all you. That's not me. You're the preacher. Well, it has everything to do with you. Prophecy has everything to do with you. When was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? When was the last time that you told somebody about the reason for the hope that's within you? When was the last time that you looked somebody in the eye and you explained to them how it is that a person can move from death to life? You see, Paul, in these verses, is not just talking about the church at Corinth. He's talking about the church today. He's talking about this church. What he says in these verses are us here. See, there's a lot of you in the room right now, and you, you know what you do? You, you spend your lives speaking in tongues. That's what you do. There's a lot of ways to speak in tongues, you know that? There's a lot of ways to live your life just like the Corinthians were. To live your life as if the gospel is about being moral, living uprightly. Going to church, trying to be a good person, doing good things. That's not the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And so what happens is, is that we live our lives. What, what, what is it, what are we doing when we 
live morally upright lives. When we try to be ethical at work and when we try to serve our neighbors and be a blessing to them and when we are generous to those in need, when we clean up our mouth and don't speak like other people speak or watch what other people watch, what are we doing when we do all those things but we don't share the gospel with anybody? We're speaking in tongues. You're speaking a language that people, unbelievers, uninformed, watch you. They can't interpret that. Hello? They can't interpret that. Has anybody watched you live and gotten saved? That's never happened. No, but you're, none of us in the room are Christians because of the way somebody else lived. That might have been part of the story, but that wasn't it. But we live as if that's how it works. See, the truth of the matter is, is that how, how many, when was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? I'm not, if I said, well, when was the last time you lived differently in front of everybody? Well, everybody would be up for that, but I didn't ask that question. I want to know, when was the last time with your mouth, with your words, you spoke according to and in agreement with what God's already said, the words of life into another person's life? Because we speak in tongues. We live as if people are just going to see us and fall on their knees and start worshiping God. But yet that's not what happened to you. That's not what happened to me. And that's not what's ever happened to anybody. That's why the Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue in the book of Proverbs. Yeah. Remember in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every action, by every moral deed, by every good work, by every... No, he said, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. See, the only way this ends with, with an uninformed or unbelieving person receiving a new heart and worshiping God is if someone speaks the words of the gospel. Someone has to speak the words of the gospel. We have to point people to the saving power of the blood of Jesus. Listen, your good life is not, no one is going to look at you and come to the conclusion based on the way that you live on their own, apart from the word of God. They're not going to, listen, they're not going to go, well, here's the thing. I was just watching my neighbor. I was watching them, boy, and I watch how they raise their kids, and I watch how they, they love each other, and I watch how they, their priorities and the way they do things. And I looked at that, and I thought, you know what? 
Hmm. The only way to live must be to die. No one's going to come up with that. No one's going to figure that out just by looking. They got to hear something. And this is what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, here in Corinth, I got a church full of people running around like a bunch of maniacs speaking in tongues and ignoring prophecy. Hmm, that's what I said. That would have been so easy just to, let's just move on. You know, well, that's the problem. I'll just explain the problem. We'll just move to the next passage. And God's like, no, you're not. That's you right there. Right there. Speaking in tongues. Unintelligible. Language. Now listen, is it important that people see that the way that we live is different? Well, of course it is. Of course it is. I mean, of course the Scripture says live your life in such a way. Let your light shine before men. Of course, we know that. But that's not sufficient in and of itself. No one would ever tell you that the way you live is not important. The problem is is that we've taken the way we live and we've made it the only thing. Well, I'm not saying not everyone. Some of us have. Some of you hadn't figured that part out. Just saying, based on social media. Of course, our priorities are different. But listen, that's not, that's not in and of itself what they need. That just sets the table. For what they need. They need to know the reason why. You do the things you do. They need to know the reason why. You live the way that you live. They need to understand. That Jesus Christ rescued you. That you were on death row. That that's who we were. That we were convicted. On death row under the penalty of death with no hope, and God rescued us. That's what they need to know. They need to know that I'm doing the things I do. I live the way that I live because there was a time in my life when I was in bondage to guilt and to shame. But then there was a day that I met Jesus. There was a day that Jesus infiltrated my life and came into my heart. And he set me free from all of my sin and my shame. I do the things I do. Because Jesus is everything to me. He's everything to me. He's not a part of my life. He is my life. They're not going to figure that out. Because you wear a Christian t-shirt? Come on. (sighs) 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of baptism videos. Has anyone ever said, I was completely hopeless and lost, and I just looked out my window and I just watched my neighbor playing with their kids. I just saw my neighbor bringing food to the people in the, in the community who were hurting. I, I just, I see my neighbor every Sunday morning loading all their kids up and going to church and coming back. And, and I just figured out like, well, yeah, I need the blood of Christ applied to my life for eternal salvation. Like nobody ever said that because it's never happened. There's no salvation apart from the word of God. But here's the thing. What, you know what? We've, we've got comfortable. We just start getting comfortable in this, you know, visual evangelism. And because everything else in our world has become so impersonal. And let's face it. It's not getting easier to say controversial things to people in our culture. It's getting more difficult, isn't it? People are getting more opinionated and more, you know, segregated and more, you know, sort of tribe-oriented. But that doesn't change what the Bible says. That doesn't change the fact that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Does that change? Well, no. Faith doesn't come by seeing. Faith doesn't come by watching. It comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Seeing and watching precede hearing. That's your story, and that's my story. See, most of us, we, we came to Christ because we heard something, but the reason we heard it was because we saw it. Now, isn't that interesting that Paul says, if, if an uninformed or an unbeliever comes among you and they see you prophesying, and they see all of you, see, they see you doing this together, they see you, then they hear you, and then those things begin to convince them, which then begin to convict them, which then begin to work in their heart, which then leads to them surrendering and worshiping God. See, all of our serving and all of our loving, all of our example, they're critically important. They set the stage for what our mouth is to speak. See, what we do bears witness to the trustworthiness of what we say. And Jesus is the perfect example of this because this is exactly how Jesus operated. Remember, when Jesus comes on the scene, the Bible says that the incarnate Son of God comes to dwell among us and He's full of Grace and truth. Not truth and grace. Grace and truth. 
And grace, I always say this, grace precedes truth. Grace sets the table for truth. No one, if there, if, if no one wants to hear what you have to say until they experience the grace of who you are. See, it's the grace of who you are. It, it makes what you say trustworthy. John chapter 9. If you want to turn to John 9, you can. But we're going to talk about John 9 for a second. These verses will come on the screen. In John chapter 9, Jesus Jesus has an encounter with a blind man. And what's interesting is the context of what's going on. You see, before you can read John chapter 9, verse 1... You have to understand, well, what does, how did chapter 8 end? And in John chapter 8, the last verse in John chapter 8 says that the religious leaders sought to kill Jesus. So they are after Jesus. They want to stone him to death. So Jesus is a man wanted, being sought for harm. He's being hunted by those who are threatened by him, and they want to kill him. And they're the people in, in, in power, in human power and authority. And then John 9.1 says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Now, Jesus walks over to this man. We know he's a beggar. He's been, he's been born blind all his life. He's blind. All he's ever seen is black. That's all he's ever seen, darkness. And so he's... He's sitting there. He hasn't sought out Jesus. He hasn't said anything to Jesus. He's just the object of the disciples' curiosity. Jesus goes over, kneels down, scoops up some dirt in his palm, spits in his hand, mixes it together, makes a little bit of mud paste, and then rubs it in the man's eyes. And tells the man to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And, and it's interesting to me that in this moment where the disciples, they see this man as an, as an issue to be debated. As a question to be answered. And Jesus refuses to play that game. And he shows them that he's a person to be loved. That he's trying to teach his disciples that we need to give ourselves to restoring sight, not explaining blindness. You see, this life is about advancing the kingdom. Not commenting on it. 
There's a lot of talking, but it's speaking in tongues. It's just a bunch of commenting. It's a bunch of, it's a bunch of opinion. See, what Jesus is saying is, listen, this is somebody to help. This isn't an issue to debate. He tells him to go and wash and receive his sight. And then in verse 25, see the man is immediately attacked by the religious leaders because it's the Sabbath. And he's unexplainably with sight. Now, how does a blind man see, and who did this, and how did it happen on the Sabbath when that's against the law, and they begin to question him, who did this, what about this, what about that, what? and he says, well, he answered them and said, well, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that I was blind, and now I see. You see, the only thing the religious leaders can see is the fact that he must be a sinner because he healed you on the Sabbath, which is against the law. And the man says, look, I don't know anything about a sinner or not. All I know is that I was blind and now I can see. You see, and, and here's the thing. One of the reasons why we, we don't share the gospel is because we don't have all the answers. This, this blind man that received his sight is a perfect example. Listen, he doesn't understand what happened. He doesn't know about who this person is or what, what all transpired in order for this time. He doesn't have all these answers. There's tons of things he doesn't know, and they're barraging him with questions. And a lot of times, we keep our mouth shut because we're afraid that we don't know the answers to things people are going to ask us. But here's what I know. I don't know all the answers. But I know this. I know I was blind and now I can see. I know that. I know that I found hope in Jesus. I know that my life was going one way and I met Jesus and it's been going a different way ever since. I know that. I know all about what it's like to live under the condemnation of a guilty conscience 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But then I also know what it's like to have that washed clean. See, I know that. I don't know all the answers to all your questions, but I know, I know where true hope and true peace come from. I know what a relationship with Jesus does to a person's life because it did it to my life. See, I know that there is a firm foundation and a solid rock. I know because I met him. And he saved me. And I, I don't need to, uh, to, to win a debate with you. I don't need to have an argument with you. You do with this whatever you want to do with it. But the bottom line is I know what I know because I experienced it firsthand. And the blind man just says, hey, I don't know. But I know I was blind and I know now I see. It's 
See, I, I just feel like what God wants you to know this morning, stand on your story. Now, if you don't know, well, then you don't have anything to say. But if you do know, if you were blind and now you see, all of your good deeds and all of your moral living, all of your uprightness, nobody looks at that and says, hmm, they must have been blind. Nobody's ever said that. You have to tell them. You have to tell them, you know what? I wasn't always this way. There used to be a different me. See, you may not know all the theology and you may not know all the doctrine. But you know your life was changed and you know who changed it. A lot of times we just keep our mouth shut. Or we say things, but it's just speaking in tongues. And you know what the thing is, is that we think, we let the voice in our head tell us what an uphill battle this is for the person that we're talking to, the person that we're See, the person who's our neighbor, the person who's our coworker, the person who's our friend. And we, 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 we hear this voice in our head that says, you know, you, you know you're going to have to perform heart surgery. We act like we're the heart surgeon. We're not the heart surgeon. We don't have anything to do with that. God does all the heart work. We don't do any of that. You know what we do? We just prophesy. We just say what we know to be true. We just say what's true according to what God's already said. That's all we do. See, really, you and I, what we, have, we have one calling, don't we? With our mouth, with our actions, with our lives, with everything that God's entrusted to us, point people to Jesus. But if we do it in every way except our mouth. Jesus. He's the one who heals. He's the one who mends. He's the one who gives life. And he's the only one. And so in so many ways, you know what we have? We have a world coming apart at the seams. And we have a church trying to be a moral example. And a pitiful one at that. So they go to the man's parents because they're like, this can't be right. See, all his friends and neighbors, they, they, the Pharisees say, now is this the guy who was blind? 
And they all go, well, I don't know. He kind of looks familiar. I mean, he looked like that, but we're not sure that's him because they're afraid. Because they've already made it clear that anybody that professes faith in Jesus, if you, if you profess that you're his disciple, you're banished from the synagogue. And that was their greatest fear. And so they're all afraid. So they go to the man's parents and they say, is this your son? Yes. Was he born blind? Yes, he was. Well, how is it that he can see? And they go, I don't know. He's an adult. You have to ask him. And so they cast him out. So here's this blind man who all of his life has been an outsider, blind. He has about 30 minutes of sight. And now he's cast out yet again, socially rejected. And remember, they're hunting Jesus. They want to kill him. And here's what Jesus does in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? Now, I just want you to stop for one second and think about this. Jesus already healed him. He could already see. It was done. They're trying to kill him. Leave town. Go away. But Jesus circles back. Goes back. Right back into the midst. And finds the guy. And said. Do you believe? In the Son of God. See, so many people are missing the fact that, you know, Jesus didn't say, Man, I'm sorry you got kicked out of the synagogue. He didn't say, Well, hey, how's that, those new eyes working out for you? He didn't say that. No, he came back and he said, do you believe in the Son of God? See, Jesus didn't come just to show us good deeds. This is the point of this whole story. Why did he come back? Because he didn't come just to do good deeds. He didn't come just to be an example But he came to speak words of life. And this job was incomplete. So he comes back and he then speaks to him. Do you you believe in the Son of God? Yeah, listen. And look at what happens. Jesus says that. And the man says, well, sir, who is he? Show him to me. And Jesus said, I am he whom you're speaking to. And he falls on his face and he worships him. So what do we have? We have a blind man 
who because of grace was convinced and then he was convicted and then it began to work in his heart because the word of God was spoken to him and then he ended up worshiping. Because Jesus wasn't speaking in tongues. If Jesus would have left after he healed him, where would that man be today? He'd be in hell. He'd be a man who saw the rest of his life died and went to hell. But the issue for Jesus wasn't sight. See, Jesus didn't come to fix problems. He came to bring dead people life. That's why he came. And make, it, make sure you understand this. God found him. He didn't find God. He didn't find God through Jesus' words. You see, this is, this is very important. You know what he didn't do? He, the Bible doesn't say, and then the man who was cast out from the synagogue went on an all-out search across the countryside to find the man who had healed him of his sight. That's not what happened. He didn't go searching for Jesus. Jesus found him. And how did he find him? Through his words. Words. The deeds set the table for the words. But without the words, all you got is example. There's got to be words. See, this whole point of this, the whole thing you see here is, you see, religion is us going to God. And it doesn't work. Jesus is God coming to us. And how God came to us is how God goes to others. And he wants to work through us to do that. And it's not by us just acting like or being an example of or showing them visually. We have to say something. Because faith comes by hearing. And hearing of the word of God, of the testimony of what you know. The Word of God is pleading with me and you this morning. Be like this blind man. He doesn't know anything, but what he knows is enough. He knows he was blind and now he can see. Do you know that this morning? Then tell somebody that. Tell everybody that. Everyone you meet, everywhere you go, tell them, excuse me, ma'am, excuse me, sir. I just want you to know something. I was blind, but now I can see. I don't know if you've noticed anything about me or not. I hope you have. I've tried to live in front of you in such a way, but I want you to know it. The reason that I do the things I do is because I was blind and now I see. We have to say something or else we spend our lives speaking in tongues that the world can't interpret. I don't know the answer to all your questions. You know, every time I meet somebody, I, I, don't, I don't know all the problems of their past. I don't, know, I don't know the problems of their present. And I certainly don't know the problems of their future. I don't know. I wasn't there. I didn't feel that. I don't understand that. I, I, I don't know all the wounds that they have. I don't know all the, the broken areas of their life. I don't know all that. I, but here's what I know. I know God fixed me. 
I know God healed me. I know God put me back together. I know how broken I was. I know what it feels like to have no hope. I know what it feels like to think there's no way. I remember what it is like to be under the avalanche of the weight of your sin and your guilt and your shame. And God freed me. And that's all I know. And I want you to know that I know God changed my life. And he can change yours. We got to tell people. You have to say something. Don't post something. Don't put a bumper sticker on your car. Say it with your mouth. Look them in the eye. And say, I don't know where you are. I don't know a lot of things about you. But I want you to know something about me. what God did. 